Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. You're listening to the Bears Brothers Podcast and Postgame Show, the place where Bears fans across the globe hang out online after every Bears game. Now get ready, because it's time to bear down. Welcome back, Bears fans, to another episode of the Bears Brothers Podcast, and welcome to the beginning of our Week 2 preview as we're gearing up for the Monday night matchup against the Seattle Seahawks. I'm your host, Will DeWitt, and I'm joined by my fellow Bears brother, Nicholas Moriano. The two of us, we're still trying to remove those sour tastes that were left in our mouth on Sunday night. But more importantly, we do have a very special guest for today's show. To help us meet the Seahawks, we're joined by Adam Emmert, one of the hosts of the best Seattle Seahawks podcast out there, the Seahawkers pod. Adam, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. I know it's your girlfriend's birthday, but still you're here to help us out to get a little bit of a scouting report on the Seahawks. You know, I'm excited to gain your insight and I have to ask, and I we were talking about this a few minutes ago. How are you holding up after Sunday's loss to Denver? Well, well, Nick, it's awesome to be here on uh, the bear brothers podcast, obviously the best bears podcast out there. So like, it's, it's nice to be in like company. This is fabulous. Um, I'm holding up. Okay. After the, the game with Denver, that was, that was a game that I wasn't totally expecting to win. Uh, Denver is always tough at home, the home opener. Uh, and they're a pretty decent team. I think that's a team that's been underrated to a degree. Uh, much as the Seahawks have been going into this offseason, I think the demise of both of these teams have been wildly overreported. But uh, I, I still have a lot of hope. Basically, all I'm hoping to do is go 500 on the road as a Seahawks fan and, uh, and be dominant at home, as we always are. So I, I still feel pretty dang optimistic about it. All right. Well, hey, I truly understand the optimism, something that we kind of strive to embody here over on our podcast. But we have a, a couple handfuls of questions for you, and I'm just going to just dive right in. And I have to begin with the big one, and it's Doug Baldwin. He's dealing with an MCL, uh, so it doesn't look like we're going to see him Monday night. Um, so I want to know, uh, after you know Baldwin was out, it seemed like Russell Wilson was spreading the ball around, and someone who I really uh, was kind of surprised to see a big game from was your fourth-round tight end, uh, Will uh, Disley, who a uh, huge first half, over 100 receiving yards. But still, the ball was still dispersed very evenly between Tyler Lockett, uh, someone who we know very well in Chicago, Brandon Marshall, Chris Carson, um, and Rashad Penny. Um, so I want to know, do you think that trend kind of continues or does someone kind of take over as the number one receiver, the number one target for your offense? Well, it was super cool to see Uncle Will go off because he's a Montana just like me. And so he's <laughs> one of my favorite draft picks uh, from this year. I think uh, as far as him being as involved in the passing game as he was last week, I think that's highly, highly unlikely. I think that's something that the Denver Broncos looked at, and they said he's a blocking tight end. And so people just forgot about him, and they just got him for, for about a half. 
I don't see the Bears making that same mistake. Um, the tight end position isn't going to be a position that uh, is going to get a lot of work in the passing game because they're going to be needing to help out Jermaine Effetti on every single freaking snap. Uh, that's going to be a huge key. Um, as far as spreading the ball around without Doug Baldwin, um, that's kind of always been the offense with Russell Wilson to a degree. Um, Doug Baldwin came into the season with a bulky knee already. This happens to be the other knee that, that he hurt. He said he wasn't going to be 100% for the season anyways. Um, we'll probably lose him for a couple games. But Brandon Marshall showed out and showed that he can still be a productive uh, receiver at an advanced stage. Jerome Brown actually had a huge preseason I'm excited about him. And, of course, Tyler Lockett, this is his first year where he feels full, uh, like a full go since he had that catastrophic leg break. So I, I feel like with Russell Wilson, he's just like any of the other top five elite quarterbacks in the league. It doesn't much matter who you trot out there to catch passes. He's going to make them better, and he's going to spread the ball around. And you've seen that over the course of his career. Yeah. So, Adam, uh, we're going to stick with the offense. And, you know, Russell Wilson was sacked six times in that game against Denver with Von Miller getting three of those sacks. And now the Seahawks have to go against Khalil Mack, who had a historic performance against the Packers in that first half. You name it, he did it. So what's your confidence level going into this game for your offensive line going against this Bears defense? Well, I'll tell you what. I think that the Denver Broncos defense and the Chicago Bears defense is actually fairly similar. I think – the Broncos have- Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Temper Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Temper Pedic. Get full offer details at tempurpedic.com slightly better corners uh but safety play i think is pretty close linebacker play i think is pretty close and they both have pretty darn good defensive lines once the denver game was over i was like oh thank god we don't have to face von miller again that's going to be great and i looked at at the schedule again i was like oh no (laughs) it's khalil mack coming because i mean that's basically other von miller right i mean you take your pick that you could say either one of them is the best edge defender in the league sure um Jermaine Effetti is legitimately the worst player in the entire NFL. <laughs> and I, I'm going to tell you guys straight up, there are two, two things you guys need to do to beat the Seattle Seahawks on Monday night. And it's very simple. Uh, basically, just put Cleo Mack over top of Jermaine Effetti every single play, watch him poop his pants, and watch Russell <laughs> Wilson get sacked, not six times, but like 49 times. Like it's, I, I'm surprised it was only six. Nick, when you said it was six, I was like, you're a dirty, filthy liar. I thought it was 33. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unbelievable how terrible the right side of the offensive line is. Hopefully we get DG or uh, Fluker back for the uh, bears game. He's our right starting right guard. Uh, we had uh, J.R. Sweezy starting who has starting experience. We've won a super bowl with him and he did okay. But uh, I think Fluker would be an upgrade. Um, the second thing you guys need to do to beat the Seattle Seahawks on Monday night just and this terrifies the holy holy heck out of me. Just Tyree Cohen, just take Tyree Cohen, have him run a little rod out into the flat and throw it to him every time. Just do that every play on offense, and you'll score a touchdown every other time. We haven't been able to cover a wheel route out of the backfield for three years, and it's worse this year now that uh, uh, KJ Wright is injured and we have the rookie Shaquem Griffin in there. Uh, bless his heart, he's a heck of a dude. He's playing hard, and it's amazing that he had this opportunity to to start a ball game. But he is just simply not ready. And I don't care if it's him or Austin Kletro that's out there. 
just dump it to the back every play, and you'll win the game. It's that simple. Wow. And wow. I'm feeling really optimistic about this Monday night <laughs> game. I'm, I'm pumped. <laughs> I, I forgot to take my notepad up here, so you said, what? Yeah. Over to the right tackle, Khalil Mack, easy. Hopefully, and then we'll yeah. listening. Uh, yeah. We'll send yeah, this. We'll, we'll tweet at the Chicago Bears this one. There you go. We definitely need to uh, boost that. But, uh, all right, so sticking with the offense here, yeah. uh, poor performance from the running game. Only 64 yards. A quarter of them came on a big run from Carson, but only 16 total attempts as a team. So I want to know. Why were you guys unable to establish the run? Did they just not do it? And how do you expect them to fix it moving forward? This might be one of my biggest frustrations in all of football right now. All I heard all offseason was the recommitment to the run game. And the idea that Chris Carson's having the best offseason is like all that same offseason chatter that you always hear. You bring in DJ Fluker, like a road grading uh, right guard. You're like, oh, that's going to get better. Ethan Posick, the rookie that's playing left guard, he's going to be better just uh, with a year of weight training, you know? And he actually is. He's actually playing well. Dwayne Brown with a full year in the system. Mike Solari, the new offensive line coach. Like, we're going to actually see a push. We're going to see some holes, and we can actually run the ball. And the thing is, we actually did see that in the Denver game. At halftime, we were averaging six yards of carry on the ground. But they didn't stick with it. They didn't even begin to start to uh, – established a running game and it's something that was infuriating and when i look at this matchup with you guys you look at that defensive line very stout you look at the defensive backfield and linebackers you go yeah you know you got some guys and they're okay so what i'm afraid of is that you have somebody like brian schottenheimer who i'm not really a fan of and i wasn't stoked about the hire looking at that uh looking at that matchup being like oh russell wilson can exploit the secondary all day we're going to go ahead and do that and not establish a run game again because we're afraid of that defensive uh, front. We got to actually stick with it. Chris Carson needs to have 20, 24 carries. I don't want to see Rashad Penny on the field. He's not ready. And I, I'm over it already. I didn't like the pick to start with. Hmm. So I, I really I really hope that the Seattle Seahawks and Brian Schottenheimer actually stop paying lip service to the run game and actually start doing it i don't care if it's one yard and a cloud of dust over and over again for like the first three drives the time of possession has been getting us killed now this is the second year denver had the ball the entire game because we can't establish a run yeah man adam i I love the passion man um my my question you mentioned brian uh, schottenheimer i want to know what is your assessment of him in his first game and you're also your first year defense coordinator ken norton in their debut against the broncos What, what was the feeling anything shock you now that you had some time to digest, you know, that week one loss. Uh, as far as Ken Norton goes, I'm really excited to have him there. The strength of this group is going to be the linebackers all year, especially when K.J. Wright comes back. Bobby Wagner is an absolute beast. I think he is the best middle linebacker in football, honestly. Um, so Ken Norton being the leader of that group, I think, fits in perfectly. We all know it's Pete Carroll's defense anyways. So I, it really didn't much matter there. When they hired Brian Schottenheimer, my heart sank. Because I've watched this guy – go from offense to offense and run the same backwards anemic stuff for year after year after year. People say, well, he took Mark Mark Sanchez to an AFC championship game. Did he? Or was that like all the defensive players for the Jets? Because I'm pretty sure it was them and (laughs) Thomas Jones, like if I recall. It's not like he's ever littered up with one real uh, quarterback in his entire career. Like, what about the Brett Favre year with the Jets? Well, he's Brett freaking Favre. He'd make anybody look good. I could be the offensive coordinator. I, on top of all that, he wears a visor, and visors are for uh, frat boys, and they, they're the worst-looking piece of headgear in the world. It's a half a hat. It's a, ha- it's a hat for poor people. He can't afford a full hat. <laughs> Nick's so looking I for his visor right I have now. My, I have my, my visor just because Matt Nagy likes to wear a visor. It's, it's come back. 
no, it's for it's a it's a hat for poor people. I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right, so talking about the running game, and this might be the answer to my question here, but I just have to know because obviously converting on third down was no easy task for your offense on Sunday. I know the Broncos uh, historically have, at least over the past few years, a very strong third down defense, but only two of twelve. Only that's sixteen percent. That has to hurt. Six times were three and outs. And if you add in drives that resulted in turnovers, I count off this is not official, of course, uh, but 10 drives that resulted in Denver getting the ball back and four plays or less. Why was mm-hmm. Seattle unable to uh, move the six and sustain drives? Penalties, 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 penalties. And it's the same story from the last since Pete Carroll has become the head coach. Been the one of the most penalized teams in all of football. And the offensive line is really one of the biggest uh, culprits of committing penalties and you end up like i think it was the second drive uh we ended up in first and 25 like you you can't do that on a regular basis you get off schedule when they stay on schedule the offense can be very effective because it's russell wilson and like basically he can just go out there and win you a game just being russell wilson but you got to give him a chance and so it's the self-inflicted wounds that really hurt yeah, I mean, we've suffered the same kind of fate here over the years. You know, you know, starting drives, going backwards, it makes it very difficult to do much of anything. So in a minute, I'm actually going to go ahead and switch gears here. and We're going to talk about that defense, which I'm sure you're excited for because it seemed like that offensive discussion uh, was a little frustrating perhaps. But, Nick, I know yeah. you want to bring back uh, something, a staple that we had last season. Uh, do you want to tell our listeners about it? Yeah, absolutely. I want to bring back the audio mailbag. Uh, we love getting your questions each week, uh, regardless of what the questions are, Bears win, Bears loss. So we're going to start implementing that, and Brandon and I are uh, thinking we're going to do that tomorrow. So we want people to just send in their questions. And uh, for everybody, the phone number they can just leave a voicemail at is 872-240-4007. That's 872-240-4007. So Brandon and I are looking forward to your questions, and we hope to get a lot of them. Yeah, this is your chance to get your voice heard on our podcast. You know, a bunch of you really enjoy partaking in the chat, but if you want to get your voice heard, it's a great thing. Uh, so definitely give us a call, leave us a voicemail, and Brandon and Nick would uh, be more than ecstatic to answer your Bears questions. All right, that's a really cool. That's a really cool segment. It's actually something we've been trying to do for a number of years now, and uh, it'll go in in you know fits and spurts there for a while mm-hmm. a couple of people will call in but i think a lot of people are just kind of afraid of it and it's like look this is real simple call in and leave a message you didn't like it call in and leave a different one that you do better exactly. like and we'll play the good one like there's no pressure it's not live like we're doing here you're not going to sound like an idiot like me <laughs> like just like do it people like they'll enjoy it it'll be fun for all y'all listen okay. to adam you guys listen to adam oh, selling it i love it appreciate it man All right, let's get over to the secondary. You know, the quote-unquote Legion of Boom might not be together anymore, but still the secondary force, three interceptions against against Case Keenum. Uh, What, uh, Bradley had two, Earl Thomas had one, and uh, last week the Bears' defense, I mean offense, came to a halt as soon as uh, the Packers switched from a man to his own scheme. And I think it's important to know, like, what kind of scheme are you guys running there in Seattle? And uh, is it more zone? Is it more man? And obviously, uh, those three interceptions are something that I'm kind of putting me on a little bit of alert here because uh, the Spirits passing attack is going to have to kind of pay attention uh, to the details. And someone who, like Trubisky, he does avoid these interceptions, it seems like. Um, But I feel like you guys might have a few wrinkles up your sleeve. 
Well, I'll tell you what, he hasn't faced anybody like Earl Thomas yet, and that's going to be a major problem because basically it's a lot of cover three with Earl playing over the top and just trying to limit the big play, uh, bringing the strong safety down in the box, and then sometimes the linebackers uh, match up in man-to-man and sometimes they they play a zone. But you're always going to get on the outside almost exclusively uh, man-to-man from the corners, and that's Fine for me uh, looking at it as long as Shaquille Griffin matching up man to man. But one thing that's a real problem and showed up in the Denver game is the starting right corner right now is Trey Flowers. Maybe they move Corey Coleman over there. I hope I hope they do. Trey Flowers is a rookie from Ohio or Oklahoma State University and big, long, lanky corner. That Seahawk prototypical corner, right? The only problem is he's playing safety three months ago. He's a rookie and he's making a position change and he has some good moments. But, boy, Emmanuel Sanders made him look just like a fool out there. Um, the, the biggest problem was he gave too big of a cushion. Please get up there, jam somebody. Like, get in their face, disrupt the timing of the route, and there wasn't enough of that. So that's something that I'm going to really be looking for out of the Seahawks corners going into this game is how physical they play with the receivers because they just let Denver's receivers run wherever they wanted. Good to know there, Adam. And you alluded to this actually earlier in the podcast. And my question was, what is the strength of the Seattle Seahawks defense? But what is it about those linebackers that make them so good? And then another question on top of that, um, just who are some players in general that Bears fans maybe might not know that they should know heading into this Monday night matchup? Yeah, uh, the linebackers are pretty special just because of just speed. For the most part, for Bobby Wagner and its length with K.J. Wright, his wingspan is ridiculous. Um, And then they both have a football IQ that's beyond off the charts and instincts that really do show up on film. And they really do command that whole front seven. They're they're an amazing group that uh, really will be the backbone of the defense, especially when K.J. comes back. But um, as far as players that maybe Bears fans aren't super familiar with that maybe get acquainted with um, Frank Clark ought to be a guy that's on your radar. Um, this is the last year of his rookie deal. He's looking to get paid. Um, he's had, I think he had eight sacks last year and that was behind uh, Bennett and Averill and, you know, all the pass rushers that were there ahead of him. Um, he's an absolute beast. Uh, also Dion Jordan, the former first round pick from the Dolphins, mm-hmm. since we've acquired him, he's actually been pretty good. And uh, he's come back in, in from injury this off season and kind of looked the part and knocked down a pass at the very least in the last game. And uh, the edge rushers are pretty good. As far as up front, uh, Jaron Reed is really kind of the, the guy that plugs up everything up front. Um, I'm hoping Nas Jones is back for the next game. And between them, that defensive tackle rotation is actually pretty deep. But it's not you're not going to find a guy that you go, oh, man, that like Aaron Donald's across from you know the center. Mm-hmm. We're, we're screwed. Um, they're all very good, but uh, none of them are great. The idea is, is that you rotate them through enough that they're always fresh. And so a guy who's very good, fresh, is better than a guy who's great, gassed. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, so I want to know, and I'm going to keep you on your toes here. I'm going to flip back to the offense. Uh, sure. Something that kind of slipped over my mind. Uh, Seahawks, one of two in the red zone. Uh, so obviously you guys were able to uh, – you still put up some points, and so you're able to make some big plays. I want to know, like, what's the source of this, quote-unquote, big play magic? Is it more Russell Wilson putting up these big throws, or is it guys – uh, you know, putting up the yak, making some plays after the catch. What's kind of the source? Because uh, as you saw on Sunday night, especially in the fourth quarter for our Bears in the second half, uh, the inability to stop the big play was kind of our biggest issue. 
Yeah, that would be something that I would think would work to Seattle's advantage just in the sense that this this offense is very much run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and then let Russell Wilson run around and make a big play. And that's basically it because most of our big plays come on what we always refer to as a secondary play. So there's the first play, and then all that breaks down. And then Russell Wilson starts running around. Everybody follows the scramble rules and he finds somebody for some big chunk yardage. And that's usually where it comes from. As far as in the end zone, we're really looking to Brandon Marshall to be that big bodied target that Jimmy Graham was for us last year. Um, He was a monster in the red zone for us, but didn't do squat anywhere else. Um, So we're really looking for that. And then the other thing is, you know, the only guy to score a rushing touchdown last year for us was Russell Wilson. Yep. So we're really hoping that Chris Carson, that offensive line, can actually run the ball when people expect us to run the ball and be effective at it and score touchdowns running the football. It, you know, it's, it's funny that we're still talking about needing to run the ball on the goal line you know, since the Patriots Super Bowl. Yeah, so Here we are. Of, but speaking of running the ball, again, this is all part of uh, keeping you on your toes, Adam. Let's go back yep. to the defense. Last week you gave up uh, – <laughs> Two seventy-yard-plus rushers. What happened there? Uh, Shaquem Griffin happened there. I mean, he really was over his head for most of the game. You saw him finally get yanked later on in the game, and that that helped. Uh, they brought him in on third downs to just be uh, a pass cover, but uh, in, in pass coverage. But uh, boy, that kid Lindsey—he's got some wheels. Uh, the the rookie for the Broncos. I had no idea he was coming. Um, once they put in Austin Calitro, things kind of settled down. The defensive line didn't play great out of the out of the gate. They had moments where they were fine, but really the the problem in the Denver game as a whole is we were fine on the perimeter for the most part, but really we got beat in the trenches uh, on both sides of the ball. Gotcha. So Adam, it seems like the overall feeling about the Seattle Seahawks team is that they're not going to be very good. They're not going to be as dominant as in like years past, mm-hmm. but. Again, where where's your confidence in this team? I know we were talking a little bit before we went live, but where's your confidence in this team uh, in 2018? Well, I actually made a bet with the Ram podcast, guys, that uh, the Seahawks are going to uh, finish ahead of the Rams in the standings for our division. Oh, okay. Um, and, I, and I actually think that's true because I think that Rams team is set up to totally implode. I mean, they brought in every knucklehead that there is in the NFL under the sun. They've got a, a 32-year-old uh, coach who's basically wearing diapers still. And you have Wade Phillips is supposed to be the savior to pull all that together, and he's a pushover. Like, the second they lose a couple games in, in, with that dream team thing, that whole thing will implode. But my optimism with the Seahawks comes from this. Everybody says, oh, this team's going to be terrible because they lost all these guys. Well, guess what? We lost all those guys in, like, week eight last year and still finished nine and seven. Like we played, we played half a season without them. Now we have guys we have drafted, free agents that we have brought in to help shore up some of those places, and that can only help. Russell will, Russell Wilson, pencil it in. That's nine wins. He's an elite quarterback. It's just nine wins. It's just like Aaron Rodgers, right? He goes out of the game. You guys beat up on the Packers. He comes back, and what happens? You know, then that's the that's the case for any of the guy, uh, teams with top five guys. So pencil in nine wins just because of Russell Wilson. And then we lost three games because of the kicker last year. Blair Walsh, Blair Walsh was an abomination. I feel like you bring in a guy like Seabass, and that really shores up that position. And then you bring in another guy, because special teams was a problem for us last year too. Bring in another guy like Michael Dixon, the punter. There's a guy you guys should be on your radar. He's a freaking game changer. I was hearing this things guy, about that. He is, he is unbelievable. He is unbelievable. The Seahawks traded up in the fifth round to get him. He's got all these trick kicks. 
and he can kick it a mile with amazing hang time. He's going to be an absolute star as a punter. It's crazy. And he flips field position all the time. And that gives a defense that maybe is a little weaker, more field to work with. And I think all of that kind of adds up to about, I, I, I said 10 and six at the beginning of the year for the Seahawks. So that that's kind of what, uh, what I'm going with. Um, I, and I, I'm looking for a Rams implosion. They can finish at eight and eight like they customarily do. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, I did not expect that, but Hey, it could happen. So I'm going to give you a statistic here, Adam. Um, this coming from Warren Sharp's 2018 football preview, but it says right. that, um, the Seattle Seahawks were and four when losing the turnover battle mm-hmm. with this team going right now. Do you think that they're able to rebound with, again, not having Doug Baldwin, having, you know, now Brandon Marshall be that guy having a unsteady offensive line. If they don't win the turnover battle, do you think the Seattle Seahawks team is still capable of winning? Well, the biggest problem with the turnover battle last year was, wasn't the idea that we gave up the ball a ton. Actually, Russell Wilson takes care of the ball very well. Our running backs weren't exactly coughing it up. It wasn't like they were fumbling all over the place. The problem was that the defense just didn't really create turnovers. It just didn't happen. I mean, that, it's one of those things that kind of goes in spurts, and it's not something – I mean, you can coach it up. I mean, not everybody's peanut Tillman. You know, they go out there and create a, a turnover every, every play, just punching the ball out. Not everybody's got that knack. Um, I think with what we saw against Denver, that's encouraging. The idea that we can create those turnovers. I understand Russell Wilson had two picks in that game statistically. Well, the first pick, that was a god-awful throw. That was a bad throw. The second throw, that was the last play of the game, desperation. He just hucked it up. Like, I never count those. Like, I mean, who, dude, fine. You can, If you want to count that and say he's turnover prone, have at it, Haas. But uh, I, there's no way that I can I can count that against him. So um, Chris Carson, though, with the fumbles, has started to become worrisome. He had a he had one in the preseason, and then uh, Von Miller just stole his lunch money during the game <laughs> and just took the ball away from him. So that was that was a little concerning. But I would expect for him to clean that up. He didn't have problems with that in college. Awesome. So I want to know is there is there anything else uh, about the Seahawks uh, that you would like to mention that maybe we didn't ask you about that Bears fans and us including. Uh, Chanel heading into Monday night. Uh, boy, I think we've kind of covered a lot of the, it the feels like it, doesn't parts. It? Um, you know, I, I think kind of secretly the wide receiving core is better than people think. Um, don't sleep on Tyler Lockett. Don't sleep on Jerome Brown. Don't sleep on Brandon Marshall. Um, and then, uh, David Moore, uh, that would be a guy that I would, uh, I think you're going to see a lot of David Moore in this game without Doug Baldwin. This is a guy that, uh, uh, made practice squad last year and then had a just tremendous preseason and training camp. Um, the coaches cannot stop talking about him, his playmaking ability. Um, look for Russell Wilson to get David Moore the ball. That'd be, that'd be a little, little pro tip. I'd, I'd say. All right. I like pro tips. So I appreciate it. All right. So we got yeah. a two parter here to end the show. It's how I end every meet the opponent episode. Yeah. Uh, so the first part, pretty simple. Uh, why does Seattle win on Monday night? Seattle wins because Russell Wilson actually plays better. I mean, he's used to playing behind a sieve of an offensive line, and he kind of put in a clunker of a performance, even though he still threw for three TDs. Um, we win because we were in that game with Denver, despite Jermaine Effetti being a dumpster fire and Von Miller, you know, just eating him up every every play. We won despite the fact that uh, you know, Russell Wilson was sacked, or we, we were in the game despite Russell Wilson being sacked six times and the offensive line just being terrible. We were right there. If it's not for the kicker missing a kick and Brandon Marshall having a, a touchdown taken away on a 
objectively terrible offensive pass interference call. Um, we win that game. So even though I told you that, you know, throw it to the back and they can, they can score a touchdown every time, put Von Miller on a Fetty every time, you'll sack Russell Wilson. The Broncos knew that, and they did that pretty much every single play. We still almost won that game. That's why the Seahawks won that game. I'm sure you know where I'm going to go with the second part yeah. of this question, but uh, why does Seattle lose? What did the Bears need to do to win this? I know you alluded to it earlier, but uh, any other takes you have? They lose because Brian Schottenheimer is too scared to actually commit to the running game and pound the rock. And Chris Carson finishes with less than 10 carries, even though he'll finish with like five yards per carry. And Russell Wilson has 40 dropbacks and 10 sacks. All right. I mean, that's all I have for you today, Adam. Again, I want to thank you so much uh, for taking the time out of your evening to share this firsthand analysis of the Seattle Seahawks. You know, you provided an abundance of quality information that I know I found to be very useful. Nick as well. And I'm sure that our listeners did too. So really, man, thank you. You're an awesome guy. It was really nice getting to meet you today. Uh, thanks for coming on. And I wish you were in the division. It'd be fun to talk to you a few more times a year. For sure. Oh, heck yeah. No, I appreciate it, fellas. You guys are a ball. Uh, you know, good luck on Monday. Uh, but you're going to lose. Go Hawks. You <laughs> <laughs> had to put that in there. All yeah. right. All right, Bears fan. Of course, our goal is to make you the most informed Bears fan on game day, so don't forget to stay tuned for the remaining parts of this week-long preview, including Ingles' five matchups to watch, my three keys to the game, and, of course, our full-on game preview. And don't forget to call into our revitalized audio mailbag that Brandon and Nick will be hosting tomorrow night. But until then, bear down, Chicago. Bear down.